It is week eight of the 2021 college football season, and this is the We Hate Your Team podcast with Kay Ford and Kinger. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Zach King. Kinger, I gotta know, how you doing this week? I am doing great, man. What an exceptional weekend of college football last weekend was. A uh, huge win for my Purdue Boilermakers, our Purdue Boilermakers, that I want to keep stressing on the show. Uh, it was great. Got to spend all day Saturday watching. Uh, saw a ton of good games, ton of good football. Another really electric Saturday, so I'm happy to be here week two. Happy to continue doing this with you and continue to making this better and improving as we go along. It was certainly a big win for the Boilers, and we're going to get into that in a bit. But first things first, I want to take a minute to thank everyone who tuned into the pilot episode last week. It currently has more than 140 listens, including one from Puerto Rico, so we are officially an international brand. We have big plans for this podcast, and moving forward, we will, of course, welcome new listeners with open arms, but we just wanted to give a special shout-out to those of you who are listening from the very beginning. We really appreciate you guys. Absolutely. Second that. Thank you to everybody who's tuned in and participating in this. And being international, that's cool. I don't know that that's something a lot of podcasts can say. So that's a, a nice little tidbit we have going. Hopefully we continue to expand on that presence. I was very surprised when I was looking at kind of the breakdown of the listens. I didn't even know it was going to pop up. There it was, a little Puerto Rico flag with one listen. I was like, hey, this is fantastic. So speaking of the big plans we have for this podcast, a large part of that will no doubt come from the outstanding guests we plan to have on a weekly basis. So with that, I'm excited to announce our first ever guest, Parker Fleming, also known on Twitter as Stats of War. Parker, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here, guys. I'd say I'm also known on Twitter as that loud guy who uh, who yells about stats all the time. But <laughs> <laughs> no, we're uh, we're thrilled to have you, Parker. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, we'd appreciate if you took just a few minutes to share a little bit about your work in the college football space. Yeah, so uh, I uh, was a uh, liberal arts guy, undergrad, and so I don't know anything about math and wanted to do some grad work and ended up taking uh, about seven math classes in three semesters. And as I was sitting through those and sitting through some of my grad math classes, I um, realized that the real world is often boring and, and football is a lot more fun way to apply some of these things. And so I kind of got into sports statistics as a way to one, apply some of the concepts that I was um, learning, two, a way to avoid some boredom in some classes, and, and three, really to, to learn some practical skills for data that I'd been meaning to learn. And all three of those have kind of coalesced into um, my, my current situation. So I started out, um, the editor, one of the editors of Frogs of War is a, a good friend of mine from college. They're both good friends of mine, Jamie and Melissa, shout out. But uh, Jamie was a good friend of mine from college. And so he and I were talking after college and he was like, hey, you have some really good ideas here. Why don't you just start writing about TCU? And so I was making these god awful previews and like Excel and taking a, you know, a grainy screenshot of them and um, have, have moved into uh, kind of a better understanding of data visualization and that, you know, 95% of analytics in sports is what you can convince people of how you can display it. So I, I've gotten a little bit better eye for kind of the data viz. And so what I currently do is um, I still talk about TCU. I don't write about TCU as much anymore. Just time has has kind of gotten me, but I've graduated from doing those advanced stats previews for TCU to um, uh, I write a weekly column at Football Outsiders that's that's really focused on the the stats recap. And so what I like to do is say, hey, what was, you know, just what weird things happened that that kind of determined these outcomes um, and, and kind of talking about how we talk about games. And then I do a, um, 
uh, a twice weekly show for BetUS along with uh, uh, Gary Seegers and Kyle Hunter. That is, um, you know, we, we kind of do our best bets, look at the projections and, and talk about those games. And I don't love the betting stuff on its own. I don't, I don't gamble very often. You know, I'll like uh, throw, throw a couple dollars in an account and just have fun with it. We call it pizza money. But generally, um, I do like talking about the lines because it helps you put kind of flesh and bones to expectations. My biggest thing with football is, is pen and paper, right? Like coding is great. Uh, the data viz is great and everything, uh, but I really like pen and paper. It's like, hey, man, draw out some plays, chart some plays, kind of learn what's going on. But then also, you know, write your top 25 down before you start complaining about somebody else's top 25. Hey, write what you think the spread is on these games before you start complaining about spread on these games. And so I, I, I've gotten uh, last year, I wanted I wanted a tool that would give me just a really succinct way to visualize games. Um, and so everything I've done has been, hey, I just want to... I just want something that I would use. And so that has morphed into a website with some leaderboards and some box scores, CFB graphs, CFB-graphs.com. And then uh, I do these advanced stats previews weekly now on Tuesday mornings that just kind of have, you know, the entire kitchen sink. I joke, you know, what, what is it? KFC has 11 herbs and spices. I've got, you know, 38 or 39 herbs and spices on these uh, stats previews just to give you an idea of matchups. They're very visually appealing for those that haven't seen it on Twitter. Again, at Stats War every Tuesday morning. They're fantastic. He does it for every single FBS versus FBS game. So, yeah, very, very cool, Parker. Thank you. Yeah, and so that's just, again, everything I've been doing is I want to ask and answer interesting questions about football. I want to have something that looks good and makes sense, and I want tools that are, that are you know, useful to me. Um, and so that's kind of what I've, I've done. I guess I should say I, I worked for a while – to help people get kind of public access play-by-play data uh, with with CFB Scraper and uh, ESPN's pipeline has kind of been weird, so I would I would direct people to you know collegefootballdata.com or, or I think there's a CFB faster I don't, I don't know um, that's some of the guys that were working on CFB Scraper with us and they they've kind of had the time to maintain an update so I think that works too um, I um, spend way too much time cleaning and scraping the data <laughs> but uh, but generally. Um, that that's the other part of it too is some of that you know nerdy kind of back end coding stuff too. I agree with ninety nine percent of everything you said there, Parker. Not in love with the betting aspect, but love getting a projected line, comparing that to Vegas, comparing it to the actual result to get get your mean average error. Um, love the data visualization. Uh, I spend a lot of my time scraping data, cleaning data, like you said. The only piece that I that I didn't necessarily 100% agree with is when you said you've graduated from Excel, which is fantastic for you, and that's awesome, and it's something I know I need to do, but as you know and as we've talked about, 99% of my work is still in Microsoft Excel, uh, which probably just makes it harder on me and more time intensive than it needs to be, but I uh, I just need to brush up and find time to, to, to get those coding skills back that, that I started in undergrad, uh, but haven't done it, so yeah, oh, I might agree more. I'm on team cardboard and duct tape, man. If it works, it works. I don't mind. I actually have a guy that I go to pretty regularly where it's like, hey, man, you know, you can do like a fuzzy text merge in R or something. I don't, I'm not going to learn that. I'm not going to do that. And so I'm like, hey, man, can you just like put this in a macro on a spreadsheet and just give me the output? Like, I don't care. Just do it and uh, and pay him a couple of bucks. And so like, I, I dude, whatever, whatever works, man, I'm, I'm all about it. That's what we're rolling with. So, yeah, no, well, appreciate you sharing that, Parker. Um, again, we're really excited to have you on as our first ever guest on the We Hate Your Team podcast. Um, moving on now into the first segment of the show, what were you guys most surprised about 
from this past week, week seven of college football. King, I'll throw it to you first. What was the what, what was the thing that surprised you the most from this past weekend? Well, if we're going to talk just straight shocking moments of what kind of you look back at, at week six of, of the college football season this year, something that is not something that we've really seen that I can remember, week seven, thank you very much for clarifying there, of the college football season. Uh, how about the end of that Tennessee Ole Miss game, guys? How about the chaos that ensued with all this? Tennessee fans throwing golf balls, mustard, beer, all sorts of different items on the field uh, end up having to delay the game with something like a minute and a half left. Uh, you know, absolute chaos down in Knoxville. Uh, Tennessee fans really doing something that's really obviously disdained, frowned upon, uh, not something that should be really repeated or um, encouraged, obviously, in the game. And just kind of the chaos that came with this. I don't know if it had anything to do with Lane Kiffin being back in Knoxville. I'm sure there was a, probably a little bit of piece of that. but 100% uh, Absolutely, right? Um, but, you know, just a, a close football game. Tennessee still having a chance at the end of the game to win it, uh, even after all of that. But that's not something that I've seen in college football before. And I just, you know, if, if you were talking just one highlight of the weekend, we can talk about Purdue-Iowa uh, here in a little bit. But that's just the biggest thing that just resonated with me is, is how do we get to that point and, and what, what, how did, what happened? Parker, you want to chime in on that? I'm, I'm, uh, one, having grown up in SEC territory and then moved to Big 12 territory, uh, I have a lot of thoughts about SEC fans in general. And I will say the thing that really got me there is like Tennessee didn't get flagged or charged a timeout. If I'm a head coach in Nayland Stadium, I'm coming up with the student section with some kind of secret signal to give me a free timeout whenever I want it. Because clearly that's what like the incentive structure is, is like, hey, you guys just all throw crap on the field for a little bit and let me talk to my players for, you know, five minutes and figure out what we're going to do here in this high pressure situation. So on one level, that kind of annoyed me too. I mean, yeah, uh, don't get me started on how, you know, the uh, TikTokification of our... Uh, of our country has gotten us into this freaking nonsense where it's like, I guarantee people had their phones out. Like, look, I threw a water bottle in the stadium. Ha, F lane kick it. Kiffin. You're like, dude, let's yeah, come on. Come on. Do you think that, do you think it was a coordinated effort? It had to have been right. No, 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 no. Just a bunch of, just a bunch of kids in the stands. And then some, you know, rowdy, rowdy folks too, who were just, you know, booing and yelling. And, and it just kind of, you know, one person does it and everyone says, Oh, I have a thing in my hand too. Yeah. And I think, I think, a point there is um, Josh Pate was at the game, and, and Parker, I know you're good friends with Josh, and he was he was down on the field, and he, he could he said on his show he could feel that kind of building all throughout the game. I mean, it was there were some officiating concerns about bad calls and whatnot, and he could just feel that energy building. Um, and so when it happened, he said he was not surprised. Um, I think it's disappointing, right? I mean, you hate seeing that. It kind of reminded me of um, like. CONCACAF World Cup qualifying in soccer, so I'm a big so soccer fan as well. It reminded me of going to maybe a, a lesser developed country or a third world country and, and playing a, a game down there um, where they where the fans throw stuff on the field. They have to have cages around the field to keep the fans off. I mean, that's what it kind of reminded me of. So it was sad. It was disappointing. I saw a funny tweet, or not a funny tweet, an interesting tweet. Someone said if tennis, this was during the game. So I had it on one of my supporting TVs. And then after about a minute of like, what is going on there? I flipped it over to the main screen and in, in the, in the TV setup I have in the basement. And so I, so I was in after 60 seconds or, or 90 seconds of it happening. And I saw on Twitter at the time, someone said, if Tennessee comes back and wins this game, which they had a chance to do, they almost did. 
this is going to be the first seven-figure fine that the SEC issues with any member because they're going to get fined for the stands, for the fans storming the field because the fans were back at that point, and for the disruption that it caused. So definitely um, an interesting development, uh, very disappointing in, in my opinion, but uh, hopefully it'll never happen again. Um, and the SEC, I think they, they issued a $250,000 fine, I think I saw. So hopefully that discourages that kind of behavior, but we'll see moving forward. Parker, what, what surprised you from this past weekend? Um, well, I was, I was looking up because I hadn't thought of that one, and I should have done this uh, while, while King was talking there, but um, I, I was interested to see what my result was for that. So I had, tw- I had uh, ooh, not 2157. That's the wrong game. Ole Miss versus Tennessee. I had 4137, so I expected a close game out of that one. Um, a couple that really got me last week that may not be as consequential, um, I thought Washington would be able to pass against UCLA, and, and Washington... You know, they, they had a first and goal and came away with a field goal, which is always, you know, that's just not what you want. Um, and then they kind of had uh, two interceptions that, that really limited them. And so I, I had that closer to a uh, like a six or seven point Washington win. And it was actually a seven point Washington loss, um, which is, you know, something sticks me. The other one that was crazy was this Liberty game. Uh, I had Liberty at... I'm so disorganized. I'm sorry. I had Liberty like 55 to 23, um, and, the, and over over Louisiana Monroe, and they ended up losing 31 to 28. Um, they had you know three first and tens in in plus territory, and came away with zero points on all three of them. Which again, you know, if I can find a way to model <laughs> that Malik Willis is going to throw an interception at the goal line, I'd be I would you guys wouldn't be hearing from me very much. I'd be on the beach with my new friends, living in a living in a villa. So that one stuck me. Um, and then the other one that stuck me as well was um, the uh, App State-Louisiana game. Just because App State only had four games going in. Or excuse me, Louisiana only had four F- FBS games going in. And I expect that to be a lot closer. And their defense made Chase Bryce look like 2020 Chase Bryce. Blew the brakes off. Yeah. Blew the brakes just, off. Uh, I was shocked about that as well. Like, like yeah. flustered. Like not only did they stop him. They induced a bunch of turnovers just because Chase Bryce was very uncomfortable. So that one was interesting to me too, just because I, I love the Sun Belt and I love I love App State at Louisiana on a weeknight. Like that is that is football, man. That's great. And so that that one really really worked me. Um, and it's funny. I mean, App uh, you know App turned the ball four to- over four times. Louisiana scored twenty one points on that drive. On their other seven drives, only twenty points. So it's like it was a very even game, except for the fact that Louisiana's defense made Chase Bryce so uncomfortable. Yep. No, and, and some of my biggest surprise, I want to hit on two games. One of them is one that, that you hit on there, Parker, and that is the the, the Liberty-UL Monroe game. And I, I know that was off the radar for most folks. I had Liberty number 39 going into the game. And again, this is my um, K-Ford ratings, the predicted power ratings. Liberty number 39 at number 127, UL Monroe. There's only 130 teams. So 127 is where I had UL Monroe. And admittedly, I didn't watch this game live. I mean, Parker, you gave your spread. I had the Flames minus 31 which gave the Warhawks just a 1.8% chance to win that game outright. Vegas actually had it minus 32 and a half. So I guess I was slightly less wrong than Vegas for whatever that's worth. Um, again, don't love the betting component, but do like to compare my line to the Vegas line just to as a check and balance of what my what my rating system is spitting out. So regardless, it, it didn't seem like this is a game with, that merited one of those five coveted spots um, in my TV setup in the basement. And at halftime of that game, it seemed like everything was going as planned. So I went back and looked at the advanced stats afterwards. And Liberty was up 14 nothing, so they were nearly halfway to covering the pregame spread. Um, but after the break, I mean, it all changed. I, I don't know what Coach Bowden said to the, to the guys at halftime in the locker room, but 
UL Monroe came out and ripped off 28 straight in the third quarter, uh, and then capped it off. Uh, their, they won 38 or 31-28, and they capped that off with a 53-yard field goal late in the game. So uh, I projected Liberty to win by 31. They only scored 28, which would have been decent enough if they didn't give up 31 on the other side. Um, but advanced stats-wise, it was a pretty even game. It was just that third quarter outburst from the Warhawks. It was just too much for Liberty. And the problem, if you're Liberty, is you just played the number 127 team to a pretty statistically even game. So definitely not up to the standard that the Flames had set for themselves as a top 40 team going in. So as a result here of my most surprising game in, in week seven, Liberty was the fifth largest faller in my ratings this week. They're down eight spots to number 47. Um, they're still the best Liberty team in program history, uh, according to my historical team ratings, at least while playing at the highest level of college football. Now, Granted, that only goes back a few years to, to 2018, but um, on the flip side, UL Monroe rose three spots, so they're number 124 now. They passed some powerhouses this week, Akron, Kansas, and New Mexico. So they are now up to 124, but that, that was the single most surprising result for me from Week 7. And the other game, before we move on to, to the pick section, that I want to hit on, and King, are, I mean... How many of the 140 people that listened are, are friends from Purdue, right? I mean, probably probably about half. So we have to give some time to this this Purdue-Iowa game here. And Give me my Parker, credit off the bat. Give Parker, me my credit. I wasn't, I wasn't manly enough to pick it on my official picks show, but on Tuesday night, on, on, on statistically speaking, I picked Iowa. It's documented. Or I picked Purdue to upset Purdue. Iowa. Very happy t- about that. T- t- Parker? Take it away. I, I'll let you go, then King, and then I've got some thoughts on it too. But we have to spend some time on this just given the nature of, of a large portion of our audience here at this stage. Yeah, so, I mean, here's the thing. Everyone knows the game plan to beat, to beat Iowa, right? The game plan is don't do anything stupid. Make them have to beat you. And only, I think, I, I almost pulled my article, but I don't want to read because that's silly. Go look at it one foot in bounds at Football Outsiders to make sure I'm correct. I believe only three of Iowa's drives started across their own 30. They're averaging a starting field position of like 38, which is first or second in the nation. And Purdue just didn't do anything stupid. That's all you got to do. And so in reality, Iowa should have lost to Penn State last week. They were just getting rocked. And then Sean Clifford went out. But still, Iowa is that very, you know, you think about that scene in Lord of the Rings. I'm, I'm a huge nerd, sorry, where you know, Galadriel's like, your quest is on the edge of a knife. If you take a couple steps one way or the other, you're going to fall off. That's how Iowa lives its life this year because their offense is just inept. And I love a mismatch like that, right? A a, 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 a very good defense coupled with a terrible offense against somebody like Jeff Brom who can pull explosive offense out of nowhere. Dude is a magician in just terms of, uh, hey, I can just make things work. He can't do it every week. But every now and then, you just know, you're like, man, he's a gunslinger. He can make something happen. And so that combination made me think of, uh, this is crazy. I'm, I'm a crazy person. But do, do you guys know anything about like ecology or like bio uh, forestry statistics? They have these models of like wildfire. And it's like all of these different predictors, like the buildup of timber, the time since the last wildfire um, the cloud coverage average for the year, the moisture, all this stuff that predicts like when a wildfire is going to break out and be like this big thing. And that's kind of the model of upsets I have in my mind mentally. I haven't like hard coded this, but this, this weekend just felt prime for Iowa to get upset because Purdue has that offensive upside and they were just able to say, Hey, we're just not going to do anything dumb. We're not going to throw it over the middle of the field a thousand times like Maryland did and let Iowa safeties just pick us off. We're going to make them earn it. And they couldn't earn it. Parker, I, I want to say I 
probably specialize in half a dozen things in my life. I try to be an expert in, in just a small number of things. I can tell you that the wildfire prediction algorithms is not one of them. So, so I, oh, it's really great. Part, it's like, but uh, I, understand, yeah. I understand the concept though. So Kinger, what did you think about Purdue, Iowa? And I've just got a couple of thoughts for after that. You know, I'm going to agree with what Parker said. And to me, it just seemed that this was an opportunity for at least Purdue to make it a close football game. You know, heading into this, we talked about it last week. Purdue does have a top four or five defense in the Big Ten. But coming into this game versus Iowa, one stat that really stood out is Purdue was dead last in turnovers created on the defensive side of the ball heading into last week. They turned Iowa over four times. You couple that, obviously we knew Iowa's offense was a little suspect. They don't really have any straight studs. I mean, a good offensive line, but they don't really have any straight studs on that side of the ball. You come in, you couple that with Jeff Brom, uh, their ability to put together sustained drives. I was questioning it coming into this week, but I did feel good, really good about Purdue's ability to keep it close. So you pair that. Purdue on the offense, defensive side of the ball was spectacular. And again, they were efficient when they needed to be on the offensive side of the ball. David Bell is an absolute monster and absolutely deserves to be in the conversation as the best wide receiver in the country. I want to give you guys this stat right here. In three games against Iowa in his three years, David Bell has 36 catches for 545 yards in five touchdowns. Absolutely Unreal. Set a new career best this week, over 200 yards receiving. Uh, that Iowa secondary, that's so highly touted, I mean, he, he made them look like fools. And I think you got to give a credit to Jeff Brom and the game plan. Aiden O'Connell played very well. I didn't know, you know, I had a few friends who bet the money line that game. I couldn't get myself to do it. I, I didn't know coming off the win last year with as good a defense as Iowa had. I couldn't get myself to pull that trigger. Uh, but they, I love that they made me eat my words, and I wish I would have done it because it was a ton of fun to watch, and they shut down the number two team in the country. We don't know necessarily if Iowa is number two, but, you know, more wins versus top five ranked opponents than anybody or top two ranked opponents than anybody Massive credit to Brom and his staff. That was a big win last week. Yep, 100%. I mean, you, you guys have really covered it, I think. So I'll just supplement what what surprised me the most. So I, I, I had Iowa winning last week. And this is this is one of those games that I look at. And I should be better about not taking my numbers so literally every time. It's burned me in the past trying to deviate from them, so I tend not to. But this is one that I was looking at the advanced stats, and you're like, man, this this could be an upset game. But it was still a game that I went with eight confidence points last week in our Pick'em King for, for Iowa um, to, to win. I think you had nine, actually. I mean, we were both we were both on Iowa, but the advanced stats were there, as you guys have said. So I, I only had the Boilers with a 12% chance to win. They came out, and they won. I mean, they deserve to win that game. What surprised me the most is the amount of success Purdue's offense had, which that's now a top 50 unit in my numbers against that Iowa defense, which I still have as the number three defense in all of college football. But as you guys hit on, the Hawkeyes were minus three in the turnover battle. So when they didn't have that edge that they've had all year, they didn't really know what to do and that their, their offensive deficiencies were really put on display. So what didn't surprise me about the game, though, was the fact that Purdue's defense, which I now have as the number 22 unit in the country, gave next to nothing to the Iowa offense, which, as we know, was really bad. I mean, I have the Hawkeyes number 88 now on offense. So um, as a result of this game, though, Purdue was the second largest gainer in my ratings behind only Louisiana, which, as Parker hit on earlier, had that just demolishment of App State midweek. Uh, the Boilers are up 16 spots to number 42 now in the predictive numbers. And I have this as the best Purdue team since 2005. So, I mean, a, a lot can change, but as it stands, this team is comparing quite favorably to the Purdue teams of the past 15 or so years. Um, and then conversely for Iowa, they fell six spots. They're down to number 14. And 
honestly, that feels more right for the Hawkeyes. Again, going back to what do I feel, what do I think versus what do the numbers say, they probably aren't a top 10 team, and now the numbers do reflect that. But that defense had just been so good, it was supporting the entire team's rating. So um, between Purdue, Iowa, and UL Monroe Liberty, those were definitely the two games that surprised me the most. Purdue snap, longest Power 5 conference, last team has been the longest gap of being a ranked team. So the last time we did it was 07. So it, it's, uh, it's a huge week for Purdue. Wait, wait, wait. What was that? No, sorry. That sounded more adversarial. I just didn't understand that. I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. 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 Sometimes I don't do a great job. Purdue had not been ranked. The last time Purdue had been ranked in the AP Top 25 was 2007. It had been almost 14 years since the last time they were ranked, which is the longest uh, gap between a Power 5 conference team. Dang. Dang. Yep. And I, I do. I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't say. I don't think Purdue deserves to be ranked. Again, in my most deserving rankings, I have Purdue number 32, or th- sorry, 31. So they are, they're improved from last week. It was a good win against, again, the number 14 team in my power ratings now. But in terms of deserving to be ranked, and I'm going to get into that at the end of the show just really briefly. I, it's going to make people mad that are listening, I know. But um, good for Purdue. They broke the streak in the AP poll, but uh, I, don't, I don't think they deserve to be ranked. But they are, and that's, that's what matters. So, um, all right, let's pick some games. For those that don't know, we started a season-long competition between Kinger and myself, and I did just enough in our inaugural week to, to, to edge out King and, and won by a single point, 36-35. King did finish second, though, in our official Pick'em contest on ESPN, so congrats, King. It really impressive showing by you there. Let, let. <laughs> Last week, that contest had 12 competitors, and we're already up to 16 this week at the time of this recording, so make sure you join that, that, weekly, or that competition because the weekly winner is going to get a shout-out on this show. And if you can prove on a consistent basis that you can outpick us, we might even have to have you on the show as a guest. So make sure you're following on Twitter at WeHateYourTeamUnderscore underscore, and join our official Pick'em Contest on ESPN. The group's name is called We Hate Your Team Podcast. So, all right, let's get to it. Week 8, Pick'em Games. We're going to be a little bit more structured in our order this week. We got some feedback about, hey, didn't know why you were picking games in the order you did. Last week, we just went on the order that was on ESPN. This week, we're going to break it down by conference. So we're going to start in the Big 12 with an undefeated Oklahoma State team going on the road to Iowa State. Parker, you're our Big 12 expert. You want to lead us off? Yes. I, I think that the world is um, is sleeping on Iowa State here. And that will be funny to people who have followed me for a while because they realized last year I was maybe the only person saying like, hey, I don't know that we should crown Matt Campbell because of a COVID year. I don't know. Like there's just a lot of circumstances around how they won. Um, but Iowa right now, 12th in EPA per play margin. Um, and, 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 you know, 20 uh, on defense still look really, really good. 22nd in EPA per pass, 31st in EPA per rush. Honestly, were it not for, you know, two special teams plays, maybe one, maybe just one of those special teams plays against Baylor, this Iowa State team is probably a top t- top 15 team. Um, Oklahoma State, I-, I like, and I like what they're able to do. They really minimize variance on offense. Um, their defense really locks things down. And I think that their offensive coordinator, Casey Dunn, has a really good handle on on halftime adjustments, as we've seen uh, a couple times, you know, most most recently against Texas last week. I do think that Iowa State can match Oklahoma State defense for defense. And I think that Iowa State's offense is just a, a lot better than Oklahoma State's offense. So I think I'm going to go with the uh, Cyclones here. Um, and I think that I am going to go with four confidence points. Am I, am I, I don't know if I'm going too long or doing the confidence points incorrectly, but make sure you guys check me. But That was, uh, that was perfect. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm perfect. recording it right now. Four points for Iowa State. I'm writing it down too, just because I'll I'll forget. 
I can go next on this one. So, yeah, Parker, I think you, you hit the nail on the head uh, on a lot of that. So I, I have this as the third best game of the week in terms of combined average team ratings in, in the K-Ford rating. So this has a combined average K-Ford rating of 85 going into the game. So third best of the entire slate. I think it's going to be a really good game. Uh, before I get into the predictive stuff, I actually have Oklahoma State as the number three team in the country right now in my most deserving rankings. And I, I know I took a little bit of heat for that. Um, people were saying, well, what, wait, they haven't beaten anybody. What are you talking about? They're, they're not very good. And I want to differentiate again between how the quality of a team as we look forward and the, the merits that they have in terms of accomplishment on the field this year. Uh, I, I have only a 17% chance that the average top 25 team would be undefeated against Oklahoma State's schedule. So that's third best in the country. Their margin relative to what the average top 25 team could be expected to have, their scoring margin that is, is um, 18th best in the country. So uh, that's a little bit less weighted than, than the resume component of my most deserving. But um, in terms of not having a good win, I actually have that this win last week against Texas as the sixth best win in college football this year. Only a 45% chance that the average top 25 team would go on the road and win at Texas. So sixth best win, number three team in the most deserving rankings. With all of that said, we're going to look forward here and pick the game. So I think as Parker said, this is really, um, this is going to be a big defensive battle. Uh, I've got Iowa State's defense as the number 16 unit in the country going up against the Oklahoma State offense, which I have at number 74. I really see Iowa State's defense dominating both rushing and passing uh, attacks there from Oklahoma State. So I think that's going to be the battle that, that determines this game because on the other side, it's, it's much more even. I'd, I'd give a slight edge to the Oklahoma State defense. I've got that unit number seven in the country. Iowa State's offense, I've got number 20. Um, very similar in terms of, of success rate and passing both offense, Iowa State, and defense for, for Oklahoma State. But I think the Iowa State defense will do enough to slow down the Oklahoma State offense. Um, that That's going to be the difference in the game. So I've got a 74% win probability for Iowa State, who I have as the number nine team in the country right now in my predictive ratings going uh, against Oklahoma State, number 25. 74% chance uh, to win for Iowa State. It's seven confidence points for me. Ooh, pretty high there. I was a little shocked to hear it. So you guys covered a lot. I'm not going to dive too far into it. Obviously, we both know this is a defensive matchup here. Uh, both really good defenses. Oklahoma State coming up. Both teams coming off big road wins last week. Uh, Oklahoma State in this series, they are 4-1 and one in the last five covering against Iowa State. They are also 8-2 and two in their last 10 games against Iowa State in general. Uh, I don't really trust Spencer Sanders like I mentioned last week. He was very average in their win against Texas. Had a big touchdown late in the game to seal the deal. Uh, Brees Hall and the Iowa State offense looks to me like they're finding their balance. I don't think Brock Purdy's a guy that you want throwing 35, 40 times a game. Getting Hall going is extremely important. A uh, little stat on him. He's scored in 18 straight games now, which is a Big 12 record and the most in FBS since 1996. Uh, coming off the win at Texas... I like Iowa State as home as well. I think seven might be a little much because historically, again, I like Mike Gundy and his ability to match up with the Matt Campbell teams. I don't know necessarily that I would take Iowa State against the spread. I'm still debating that, but I like Iowa State at home and I have them at two confidence points. Cool. All right, so we have two points for Kinger, four points for Parker, and seven points for myself on Iowa State. Next game, we're gonna keep it with an undefeated team and we're gonna switch conferences. We're going to the American, where we have Cincinnati traveling to Navy. King, you want to take us off with this one? Ride this horse, boys. Cincinnati, again, 
absolutely coming out last week, dominating UCF, banged up UCF team, as we kind of talked about. But Navy just doesn't do it for me. Uh, as we all know, Navy is completely one-dimensional. Uh, they do have, they are towards the top in regards to their rushing guards per game, averaging over 200 yards per gr- on the ground per game. But that Cincinnati defense is so good, I don't think Navy really has much of a chance this week. With how good those corners are, uh, with Sauce Gardner, as we talked about last week, um, they have another DB, Kobe Bryant, who had a pick six last week. They make up one of the next uh, best secondaries in the country. I view this as a team where Cincinnati is going to really be able to load the box. Navy just had their second passing touchdown of the year last week. Uh, with those DBs, you can leave them out on an island. There's not going to be much of a threat. Uh, they're 27 and a half point favorites on the road. I'm going to take them again this week and bet the spread. I didn't last week. I held them out of my out of those games that I did end up pulling the trigger on. But I just don't see Navy being able to move the ball on this Cincinnati uh, defense. Cincinnati's competent enough on the offensive side. Jerome Ford last week at 189 yards. He had four touchdowns in the first half. Navy doesn't have any straight studs on the defensive side of the ball. This is an easy pick for me. Cincinnati with 10 confidence points. Parker, what do you think about this game? Um, I, I honestly agree with a lot of that. I've got you know a win probability north of ninety seven percent for for Cincinnati here, and the you know I'm all about Kelly. I'm I'm, I'm always about these these complementary matchups, right? I want to know you know pass defense, pass offense, pass or rush defense, rush offense. And if you look at these, man, it's just real harsh. So so Cincinnati relatively is not that good at passing, right? They're sixty seventh in EPA per pass. Navy's 91st on defense. Like they're, they're, they're going to be able to pass on Navy. You look at rushing, uh, first on EPA per rush for Cincinnati's offense, 52nd for Navy. So I think Cincinnati's offense is going to be able to do whatever they want. Granted, Navy has shown an ability a little bit to kind of muck things up, but I think that Luke Fickle and Cincinnati really have this, this season dialed in as, Hey man, if we beat the ever loving heck out of everyone, we, we might be able to play ourselves into a playoff spot here. So um, I really like uh, what they're able to do. I'm really low on Navy, 111th in EPA per, per play overall. One stat that really sticks out to me, Cincy on offense, sixth in starting field position. Navy is 127th in starting field position allowed. Let's flip that to the other side. Navy is 105th in starting field position. 26.5 is where they're starting the drives on average, barely better than a touchback. Uh, and Cincinnati is, is 54th, but still only 28. Good luck, Navy, trying to drive the ball 74 year and a half yards every time against Cincy's defense. So I'm taking Cincy here. I'm going nine confidence points. Um, I, I, man, I'm rooting for Luke Fickle to just win by a hundred every week and make the playoff committee have to, you know, break their precedent and, and get really frustrated about it. Yep, and I'm not going to add much. I won't bury the lead. I've got Cincinnati as the fourth best team, predictively speaking, and I've got Navy number 108. I've got this as a 98% win probability for Cincinnati. You guys touched on it across the board. Offense, Cincinnati offense versus Navy defense. We got number 17 versus number 87. Cincinnati defense versus Navy offense. Eight versus number 123. I mean, this Navy offense is not good. I don't see this being close. I'm going to take Cincinnati. I'm going to take 10 confidence points on it. The one thing, the most controversial thing that I probably have about Cincinnati is I currently, while I have them as the number four best team in the country, my most deserving rankings have them number seven, which I know people might get upset about and say, if not this Cincinnati team, when can they get in? 
I think if they keep winning, they'll see themselves rise in my most deserving. They did fall one, one spot this past week, but I, I think they'll keep rising. That win at Notre Dame is looking really good. Um, I, I have this the 10th best win in the country this year, only a 50% chance, so a, a total coin flip that an average top 25 team would go into South Bend and win that game, at least based on Notre Dame's uh, predictive rating right now. So um, to, 10 points for me, Cincinnati, I expect them to roll. So just to recap that, Kelly's got, I've got 10 points for Cincinnati. King's got 10 points for Cincinnati. And Parker's got nine points for Cincinnati. So um, keeping it with an undefeated team here for our next game, but also uh, switching conferences again, we've got San Diego State at Air Force in the Mountain West. I'll go first on this one. Um, San Diego State, yes, they are undefeated. I have them number 20 in my most deserving uh, rankings. So a, a team that has accomplished a lot on the field. They do have two overtime wins already this year. One of them against Utah. So there's a, there's a Pac-12 win at home um, in overtime, um, but not overly impressed with that undefeated record so far. 66% chance that the average top 25 team would be undefeated versus that six-game schedule. Um, for me, this is, again, much like the first game we talked about, this is a battle of, of some really good defenses. So I've got Air Force with the number 58 defense in the country, San Diego State's offense number 109. Uh, expect that defense to really shut down um, San Diego State's offense. I, there's not really – is the passing, rushing. I can't really make a case for San Diego State on offense. And then, again, on the other side of the ball, um, San Diego State's defense is really good. I've got them as a top 10 defense in the country. They're top five in rushing success rate. Um, they're top 20 in passing success rate. Um, so they're uh, – Air Force I've got as a number 44 overall offense. I do think – that being at home in this game is going will possibly make the difference for Air Force. I do think that their offense is slightly better than San Diego State's. So I'm going to take Air Force. I've got Air Force as the number 63 best team in the country. San Diego State number 64. So Air Force and four points for me. Go ahead, Parker. Hop in there. Great, great, great. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of that. I, I think that San Diego State has not really played anyone outside of Utah. And Utah's home road splits are... are um, Enough to make me look at altitude as a uh, as a predictive metric in this offseason. Because, I mean, I, I feel like Arizona State should have beaten Utah pretty handily. And, you know, they kind of wilted in the second half. But I think Air Force is really, really um, explosive, which is kind of funny when you think about an Air Force offense. They're 56th in offensive success rate, but they're 11th in EPA per pass and 18th in EPA per rush. So Air Force is breaking off big plays pretty consistently here. San Diego State's defense is second in EPA allowed. Granted, not opponent adjusted. They haven't played a lot of good teams, but still uh, pretty pretty competent in, in both sides of the ball. But overall, I don't think their offense is going to be able they're, – they're switching quarterbacks this week. I don't think their offense is going to be able to do enough to kind of overcome this plodding Air Force uh, consistency here. And so I'm, I'm leaning towards Air Force, and I, I, I'm actually pretty confident here. I, I you know – I try to never bet against the troops if I don't have to. And so I'm, I'm going to go Air Force with eight confidence <laughs> points here. Eight. Ooh, high. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join you guys. I'm, I'm also going to take Air Force here. Uh, Air Force leads the country in rush yards per game with over. So Air Force is, yeah, Air Force leads the nation in rush touchdowns with 27 and yards per game with 336 on the ground. San Diego State's best players are in the secondary. Trenton Thompson and Taylor Hawkins both have two picks apiece this year. Thompson leads the Mountain West with eight passes defended. 
But I agree, Air Force at home, they've looked like a solid football team this year. I like the home field advantage. You guys have already mentioned San Diego State's opponents. Uh, Air Force has really rolled with the exception of their loss to Utah State, a four-point loss, 49-45 to Utah State. Um, and they did struggle in the first half against Boise last week, but ended up really settling in and, and taking control of that game. Uh, I like them. I like them potentially to make their first ever Mountain West Championship this year. Uh, I'm going to take them at home, and I have them at three confidence points. All right, so we're all on Air Force. Parker's got them for eight. I've got them for four, and King's got them for three. So we're going to keep it in the Mountain West, and we're, the next game we're going to look at is Nevada at Fresno State. Parker, you want to tell us about this one? Yes. Um, one, I, I, I love Fred, the idea of Fresno State's offense, but here's the thing. When an offense runs an air raid, like actually commits and does the air raid in a conference that's not familiar with the air raid, they're going to look way better than they are the first year they run it. And last year, that's really what, what, what Norvell and the boys at, at Nevada did is they committed to the air raid. And, and Carson Strong is an accurate quarterback, not knocking him at all. Um, I think he'll play on Sundays in some capacity, but th there's an easy recipe to stop the air raid, which is to drop eight and say, beat us if you can rush. Nevada is 79th in EPA per rush. They're 39th in EPA per pass. So clear drop-off in rushing ability there. One stat that really I really like in this game, Fresno's defense, 10th in EPA per pass. And so they are really, really str strict against the pass. And so the rushing game may not matter as much. Um, overall, I've got Nevada as 52nd in EPA per margin because their defense is lacking. Uh, Fresno is 37th on offense. Um, I, I, I'm not in love with what Fresno is doing. I think they run the ball um, really, really poorly, 125th. But here's the thing. They're only running the ball on 39% of their first and second downs. Um, so I'll say that for the uninitiated. You look at early downs rush rate to look at style because third down is largely dictated by context. Um, but they're 125, uh, 125th in EPA per rush. The good news Nevada is 123rd in EPA per rush on defense. So there's a real nice matchup here where Fresno State's offense is really good at what our defense is really good at what Nevada's offense is good at. And Fresno State's offense is um, bad at what Nevada's defense is bad at. So I like this. I'm a little bit worried just because, again, you have a competent quarterback. You have a lot of experience at Nevada. Uh, it would not surprise me if they pop off a couple big plays here and there just because they're going to be taking shots. So I'm going to go with Fresno State here, but I'm only going to put three confidence points because the Mountain West scares me generally. And uh, and I think that Fresno State and Jake Hayner on offense are, are good. I don't know if this gets into a shootout. I'm going to – I think Carson Strong wins. So I'm going to lean towards Fresno State, put three confidence points on them. Agree with a lot of what Parker said. Uh, I, I I like what his the point that he made about Fresno State's defense. I think they are sneaky good. They're only allowing 19 points per game right now. They are beat a good UCLA team or what I think is a pretty good UCLA team. They hung with Oregon. They have what I would consider probably a pretty bad loss to Hawaii, but I think they're competent. And I just want to say both these quarterbacks, uh, Jake Hayner and Carson Strong, I mean, these dudes can sling it. And if you're looking for, for guys that really do have the potential to play at the next level on Sundays one day, this is going to be a lot of fun for people to watch. Uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball for Nevada, I want to point out Tristan Nichols, their defensive end. He's a beast. He leads the nation with eight sacks. But when it comes down to it, I do trust the Fresno State offense to score on that defense. There's not really any statistical categories that Nevada is elite in. And I, I'm a believer in Hayner. You know, he was original Washington Mitt 
lost the jock or backed up Jake Browning, then lost the job to Jacob Eason, who actually just got cut from the Colts today. I saw that just a side note. Um, but I like what Fresno's ability to do. And at home, uh, although Nevada has looked good, I, you know, they beat, beat, had a big road win week one at Cal lost to Kansas state. I don't really think their opponents have been anything, uh, to really ride home about. So I'm going to lean Fresno state at home and I have them at six confident points. I'm going to be right there with you guys. This is this is the best Nevada team, according to my numbers, since 2010. And that's about where the good news for Nevada stops in this game. Um, I've got this kind of across the board, a Fresno State advantage, whether we're talking Fresno State's defense, which I have as a top 35 unit against a sub-50 Nevada offense, or Fresno State's offense, which I have as number 40 in the country, going up against the 75th ranked uh, Nevada defense. So I've got Fresno State with a 62% win probability. I've got them as the number 52 team in the country. I've got Nevada number 60. So I'm going to take Fresno State. I'm going to take them for five confidence points. So we're all on Fresno State. This is four games in, and we have the same winner um, across the board. I've got Fresno State for five. King's got Fresno State for six, and Parker's got Fresno State for three. So I'm contractually obligated to oh. jump in there when someone mentions 2010 Nevada and say shout out to that team that beat Boise State so that TCU could go to the Rose Bowl. So thank you. Appreciate you, 2010 Nevada. There you go. I actually remember. Got a little of Nevada love yep. it. Got a little bit of Nevada love I, I don't know Nevada. if you've noticed. I've gone Nevada, Nevada every other time. I'm, I'm not 100% sure, so I, I just switch every time. I don't know how to say it either. Yeah. <laughs> I have a couple of classmates from grad school at Ohio University that went to Nevada for undergrad. Um, I said Nevada. They didn't correct me. I'm, I roll with Nevada, but I, I think both are probably acceptable. Moving on from the Mountain West, we're going to get in some Power 5 here uh, with the ACC. So first game we're going to look at here is Clemson at Pitt. I've got this as the best game of the Week 8 slate in terms of combined average team ratings. This is a 92 on average team rating. This is my number 7 team in my predictive ratings, Pitt. Yes, a top 10 Pitt team against the number 8 team in my predictive ratings, Clemson. Um, and despite this being such a close close matchup um, in terms of the predictive ratings, I do think Pitt has some serious advantages here, mainly on the defensive side of the ball. I think both defenses are, are, are the better units here um, in this game and will win those matchups. But I think when Clemson is on offense and Pitt is on defense, it's a clear mismatch. Um, I'm not sure what happened to Clemson this year. I certainly didn't expect it, but I've got their offense number 57 in the country, which I just, I, I really didn't expect that coming into the year. I thought DJ Uyunglele was going to slide in seamlessly. Um, I, I, I know they lost some players at Clemson, I mean, especially at the skill positions, but it's Clemson. I mean, they've just reloaded recently and it just hasn't worked this year. So in terms of, uh, defensive rushing and passing success rate. This is a top 10, top 20 unit on, on Pitt. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, Pitt's offense versus Clemson defense. I've got this as a top 10 matchup on both sides. I've got Clemson's defense number four. So very little drop off there on the defensive side of the ball for Clemson. I've got Pitt's offense number eight. I think that, that battle is probably going to be pretty even. Um, but just I think the other side, I, I think Pittsburgh's defense is just going to take it to Clemson a little bit. So like I said, Pitt's my number seven team in my predictive ratings. This is the best Pitt team, according to my numbers, since 1982. I mean, Dan Marino was, was slinging the ball for Pitt the last time they were this good, according to my numbers. Like I said, Clemson's number eight, but it's at Pitt. So I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. Um, I've got 58% win probability. So give me Pitt. Give me three confidence points. King, who you got? 
I'm going to take Pitt in the seven slot this week. Uh, you highlighted, I like Pittsburgh's defense. Uh, Low-key, they're second in the ACC, allowing just 100 yards a game on the ground. Ungalalele has not been impressive. Clemson's offense has only scored over 20 points twice this year. Once they scored 49 points against uh, South Carolina State, who they just pounded, and they scored 21 in their overtime loss to North Carolina State. Uh, although Clemson does have a good defense, and I do think that this they are going to give Kenny Pickett in that offense uh, probably one of their stiffest competitions yet. I like Pitt at home as well. One stat I want to say that I just want to make it, Clemson is sneaky good in the red zone. They've only allowed five touchdowns and 18 red zone trips this, week, or this year. Uh, they're top seven in the nation in that stat. Uh, so when it comes down to getting in that in that red zone, forcing Pittsburgh's offense to try and put up the touchdowns to put them away, I think it's going to be a close game. But again, I just don't trust really anything going on the offensive side of Clemson. So I'm going to take Pitt. I'm going to keep riding them. And I got them at seven, like I said. I, I want to believe. I really do want to believe in Pitt. And I'm going to pick them. But I will say I'm skeptical. The reason that I'm going to pick Pitt tonight is that Clemson is just so abysmal in the trenches this year they clearly have messed up their development cycle on offensive line uh and and a little bit at quarterback because they really don't have an option to compete with dj um and, and so i i really think that clemson is is struggling here i have Pitt as seventh in epa per margin epa per play margin that's that's raw obviously um and clemson at 87th but i really like what pitt's been able to do on offense i think kenny pickett is is slinging it um uh, shout out to Brennan Marion, the wide receivers coach, who's really been in charge of their passing offense and really kind of injected um, some 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 interesting stuff there. If you remember, he was at Howard when they set all those records, and then he went to William and Mary and set all those records. and And so he's he's a really talented um, offensive mind. I will say the one thing that has me nervous about Pitt existentially they've they played Tennessee, who's sixty first in EPA per playoff uh, defense. UMass, which is 95th, Western Michigan, which is 64th, and Georgia Tech, who is 46th. So um, I'm a little bit worried that they haven't played anyone necessarily, but I do think that good offense, you know, translates uh, pretty, pretty well, especially when they've been that dominant for that long. So I think that Clemson is continuing to spiral. Who knows um, what's going to happen there? I don't know how easily you can fix these offensive line issues, but I'm, I'm going to go with Pittsburgh and I'm actually just given the way the other games are going this week, I'm going to go with six confidence points, which admittedly is high, makes me nervous, but look, man, I'm going to stand behind it. Yeah. And Parker, I, last thing on this game, I, I'm with you on, I'm not quite sure who Pitt's played. And so my most of their most deserving rankings, which are opponent adjusted, um, of course, I have Pitt number 21. So, um, I mean, they are ranked. They are a top 25 team. I actually have Clemson number 23. I mean, a 4-2 and two record, but one of those losses is to Georgia, who I have as the best team in the country. So, anytime you have a 5-1 and one Power 5 team at 21, it kind of catches my eye as, man, maybe they really haven't played played anyone. So, I'm with you yeah. there. Um, okay. Can so I ping pong the, on one more yeah. thing that, that yeah. King said right there uh, about about finishing? I, I really am, like, in love with this idea of quality possessions. I call them Echo after that Navy fullback. And in points per quality possession or points per echo, uh, Pitt is fifth at 5.53. Like they are, they are getting across the 40 yeah. and they are scoring. Clemson's defense is fifth at 2.54. That's like immovable force meets an unstoppable object, right? Like, or I said that backwards, but both of those things, that's going to be the thing to match up. Like Pitt is going to have opportunities to score. 
Will they let Clemson stop him in the red zone? Will they kick field goals instead of touchdowns? That's going to be the game right there. And Bill Connolly proved it in his work, I mean, a decade ago now about finishing drives. I mean, that's one of the five factors. It's one of the things that really matters. So, yeah, the fact that Pitt's able to do that um, certainly bodes well. So, okay, um, I already recapped that. I've got Pitt for three. Kings got Pitt for seven. Parker's got Pitt for six. Um, so we'll move on to the next game, which is also in the ACC. We've got NC State going on the road to Miami. So, Kinger, you want to take this one first? This is the toughest one for me this week, boys, because I am just not really an NC State believer. Uh, I picked against them last week, took Boston College at home. Uh, Boston College was in it for maybe the first quarter and a half, and then the NC State defense really took over, really limited what Boston College was able to do on the offensive side of the ball. Granted, I think you had a special teams touchdown. No, they had a fumble recovery for a touchdown that ended up uh, really helping them, giving them that momentum, but... Coming in, I, I think Miami kind of stinks. Um, you know, that's just just straight, that's the honest truth that I feel about them. Obviously losing De'Eric King. They had another big injury last week. Their starting running back, Cameron Harris, went down in the third quarter against North Carolina. Uh, he's done for the year with the knee injury. Uh, seems that they do have a pretty respectable backup in Jalen Knight, and he had a couple touchdowns last week. Uh, Miami looked really bad early in the season, but they do have had a couple close games here these last two weeks. They've they lost the UVA 30-28, and then they lost the UNC last weekend 45-42. So even with their backup quarterback, uh, they've they've been competitive, and I expect them to be competitive again this week. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, the backup for Derek King, I'm a little concerned with his consistency. He's only compete completing just over 50% of his passes uh, five touchdowns three picks this year um, Miami is still scored on the offensive end these last few weeks but again it's just the consistency that, I, that I'm lacking here so I'm going to go ahead and lead on that NC State defense uh, NC State actually uh, Devin Leary had probably his best game of the year last last week he had 251 yards and three touchdowns I'm very hesitant to do so because again the back-to-back -back road wins I, I think is always a challenge road games is always a challenge for uh, these teams, but I'm going to take NC State. I'm going to continue to ride them. I'm going to trust that defense, and I have them at five. I'll, I'll go for this one. Um, so I've got this as the fourth best game of the whole of the whole week. And King, I hear your points about Miami, and they are two and four. Um, so not a good win loss record. For some reason, my numbers still do like Miami, though. Uh, they're sitting just outside my top 25 in my predictive rankings, or ratings. They're number 26. I'm very glad they didn't make the top 25 because when I post that graphic on Twitter, I took enough for having Nebraska at 23, I think, this week, and they're 3 and 5 or whatever they are. Um, and so, or th 3 and 4, 3 and 5, something like that. So if I would have had a, a 2 and 4 team right there behind them that people would have seen, they probably would have lost their minds. But um, I do think that in terms of deservedness, uh, again, NC State's 5-1, and one, and I've got them at number 22 in my most deserving rankings. So, again, Power 5 team, 5-1 and one at 22. You could say, have they really played anyone? I've got their best win so far as that overtime win against Clemson. Really exciting game. Um, but I got number 22 there. In terms of this game, it's interesting because I do have NC State as the better unit both offense versus Miami's defense and NC State's defense versus Miami's offense however both are fairly close um and also the fact that it's at Miami gives Miami that 2.5 point home field advantage that I use so with all of that put in um I I really I think it's going to be close um I've got NC State as number 19 team in the country I've got Miami number 26 like I said I'm going to take NC State 51% win probability, so as close as you can to a total toss-up. This is one point for me um, with NC State. But, yeah, I'm going to take the Wolfpack, and I'm going to take them by one confidence point. 
I agree with what King was saying about the defense here for, for North Carolina State. I think they're the better, um, best unit on the, on the field here. I will say, uh, Devin Leary is referred to as, uh, the poor man's Brock Purdy around my condo. So, um, I, I think he can be good. I just don't know that he is always going to be good. Um, I'm a little lower on NC State, 46th overall. Their offense only 83rd. Really, really bad in, in rushing. 91st overall in EPA per rush. But Miami is 105th on defense for EPA per rush, far from the U that we've seen in the past. So I think that North Carolina State's uh, offense is going to be able to have a lot of leeway here. And Miami, with all the injuries on offense, I love Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator. I think he does interesting stuff. They really have some personnel mismatches and some injury issues with what they want to do. So I'm going to take NC State. I'm also going to go five confidence points. Um, if I was a smart man, I would have switched this and pit, but I've said what I said and I'm standing by it. So I, I think that NC State wins this. Um, I, maybe, maybe close. Miami came back last week. Like they, they're, they're feisty. They're not quitting, which is something to be said for a college football team. But, you know, 99th in EPA margin, 95th on offense, 77th on defense. Just a real, real rough year in Coral Gables. So we're all on NC State. King and Parker got him for five, and I've got him for one. So I'm a little bit of an outlier there in my uh, confidence in Miami. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Keeping it in the ACC somewhat here, we've got an undefeated Wake team going on the road to play Army. Um, and on the surface, I feel like this is a game that you'd say, well, absolutely, Wake's going to win. This is an undefeated Power 5 team going against a 4-2 and two independent that hasn't hasn't done anything, at least postseason-wise, in a while. Um I don't think it's quite as straightforward as that. Uh, I actually like uh, Army's offense slightly more than Wake Forest's defense. So um, I don't think Wake Forest's defense is very good. I've got them number 72 overall. Um, again, I've got Army's offense at number 70. So a toss-up there, but at least it's it's somewhat close, and I'd actually lean Army. Um, or I think the difference in this game is on the other side. Um, I do like Wake's offense uh, more specifically. I like their passing game. I've got them as a top 20 unit. I've got Army's defense at number 41. But in terms of success rate, in terms of EPA, their passing uh, offense at Wake Forest top 20. Um, I should have mentioned at the top, in terms of most deserving, I've actually got Wake as the number eight team in the country right now. I know that's slightly lower than they are in the AP poll. Um, I think they're a little under-ranked in the AP poll. Uh, only a 39% chance that the average top 25 team would be undefeated versus Wake's schedule. Uh, yes, I know they just had to go to overtime to beat Syracuse, but they did end up winning the game, which is the important thing in a most deserving ranking. So um, I think Wake is a very accomplished team. I have them as the number 32 best team in the country and going on the road to number 67 Army. I will take Wake and I'll take them for six confidence points. I like I like Wake here. I will say the thing about Army for me is kind of the complementarity. So Army's pass offense is 86. They don't even have, you know, Air Force kind of has that. We run a lot and then we pass over the top and hit that explosive play. Army really doesn't have that explosive pass offense that's that's so congruent with their success in the past. And so um, I, I think that if Wake can score, they will struggle to keep up. One thing that's really interesting to me about this game, both teams on offense and defense are terrible on early downs uh, or avoiding third downs generally. And so third down is going to matter a lot in this game. Army, of course, because they're kind of playing three yards in a cloud of dust. Wake Forest, because, you know, they'll take a couple shots and then try and clean up on third down. And and so on third and fourth downs, Wake Forest's offense is 14th overall. Army's is uh, Army's defense is ninth. 
So that is going to matter a whole lot because Wake Forest has been able to kind of clean up on, on late downs. And against Army, that might not be so easy. On the flip side, Army's offense sixth at third and fourth down success. Wake Forest, 104th in on defense there. So some serious asymmetry on that side of the ball. I think this will be close, but I, I'm pretty certain that Wake Forest wins this game. So um, third downs will matter a lot. I like Wake Forest's offensive potential here. And just given how, how long it takes Army to score generally, I'm going to go with Wake Forest, and I'm going to go with seven confidence points. So this game is going to be close. Absolutely, it's going to be close. But I'm very sure that Wake Forest is going to win. Okay, I'm going against the stats guys here. I'm actually going to take Army with one confidence point here. Ooh, so that is you guys spicy. talking about Wake Forest. Here, here's my concerns with Wake Forest. I personally don't think Wake Forest's strength of schedule has, has been anything really to write home about. They squeak out the win versus Louisville and Syracuse the last two weeks. I think it's a very quality win, what they did to UVA, beating them by 20 points on the road. Uh, but the defense really scares me. Uh, they're allowing over 400 yards per game on the offensive side of the ball. When you pair that with Army, who is have got four guys with over 40 rushing attempts this year, uh, they're averaging uh, almost 295 yards per game rushing. Granted, like Parker said, they are very one-dimensional. Uh, I'm still not sold on, on, on this Wake Forest defense. And if you pair that on the opposite side of the ball, Wake Forest does have uh, some very good players. Sam Hartman's a very respectful QB, over 60% completion percentage, been very efficient, 14 touchdowns, three picks this year. Uh, a couple really good wide receivers in Jakari Robertson and A.T. Perry. Um, I do think they're going to score some points, but I also think Army's going to keep this close. Uh, one thing that I really like, uh, Army's 4-1 and one against the spread in their last five games as an underdog, and they're also 10-0 and o in their last 10 straight home games. They're coming off back-to-back -back road losses. The Ball State loss was bad. Wisconsin, I think that was kind of expected. I like them to come fired up at home, and I think Wake Forest, again, in my opinion, is a little bit overranked thus far this season. I see an upset. I'm going to take Army with one. It's interesting, King, that you're not sold on Wake Forest's strength of schedule. Um, like I said, I, I, I've got them as the eighth best resume in the country right now, based on based on. So, that. so, so, so we, which games do you really like them? Which, which, like, what stands out to you in, in your numbers? Like, where's the quality yeah. wins, right? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And it's like we can agree to disagree. I think that's what makes part yeah. of this is good. But um, so, there's no one specific game that stands out. But in terms of determining the difficulty to achieve a team's record against that schedule, which is what most deserving is a big part of that's all about. There's also the, the scoring margin component, right? How did, how was your scoring margin relative to what would be expected given that schedule for, for the average top 25 team? When you go undefeated, that's that's where it kind of kicks you up in difficulty. Like going six and zero is much much more difficult in just the way that the math works when you when you start multiplying percentages than it would be to go five and one when you're when you're given one loss in there. So, in terms of specific games, most impressive by my numbers is at Virginia. The average top twenty five team would only have a sixty three percent chance to win that game. Next would be at Syracuse. Actually, that's eighty one percent, so a four and five chance um, that that the average top twenty five team would win and then home to louisville 85 percent home to florida state 90 and then old dominion 99 in norfolk state that's an fcs team so i don't have fcs ratings i give that 100 percent win probability for any fbs team um so it's really there's a few games in there that that help that 
but only a 39% chance when you multiply that all together that a team, that the average top 25 team would be expected to be 6-0 and against that schedule, which is eighth best in the country um, in terms of difficulty to achieve that schedule by percentage from the perspective of the average top 25 team. And then margin-wise, uh, they're 14th best. And again, that's a, that's a smaller weight, so, so they end up coming out at number eight overall. So that's how I got where I am, but I, I'm with you. There, there's not one game on there that there's less than a 60% chance, right? But just the cumulative effect of it. Got it. Thanks for the breakdown there. Yeah, yeah first game to disagree with you guys. Yeah, we'll see I what love happens that. Yeah, so to recap that, Parker's on Wake Forest for seven. I'm on Wake Forest for six. And King is doing us all a favor by picking a different team. It's our first game we've disagreed on. He's got Army for one. So keeping it with an independent here, we've got a rivalry game in South Bend. I think my father-in-law is going to the game, actually. He's a Notre Dame alum. Uh, we've got uh, USC coming into South Bend to play Notre Dame. King, you want to take this one first? Yeah, another game that I'm, I'm I'm having a, a little bit of tough time evaluating, to be honest. I really want to take Notre Dame at home, and they've had some success as of late, uh, you know, against USC here these last few times that they've played. Um, USC on the offensive side of the ball, though, still has uh, some 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 dudes. You know, let's just say Keaton Slovis second in the Pac-12 in passing yards. Uh, really kind of low touchdown numbers this year, though. He's got nine touchdowns. Uh, eight of those or I'm sorry, five of those have gone to Drake London, who I think is one of the best wide receivers in football. Um, the, the USC defense to me is nothing that uh, really has shown to be an elite level. I really like Drake Jackson and their safety, Isaiah Polamau. Uh, both those guys are going to be solid NFL draft prospects. Um, but you know, on the other side of the ball, if, if Cohn can play the way that everybody at Notre Dame, I guess, thought he is, he's really kind of underperformed this year. I really like the off- the weapons on the offensive side of the ball. I still think Kyron Williams is an absolute stud out of the backfield, although his yards per carry this year is down, hasn't scored twice as many touchdowns. Um, Mayer at the tight end position is a beast. Um, I just really – I think I got to take Notre Dame at home. I don't know if they're going to cover the spread here, but uh, just at the home game and the success that they've had against USC these last few years, I'm going to take Notre Dame, and I have them in the eight spot. Okay. Yeah, I think this game, it's really interesting, right? I mean, uh, being from Indiana, Notre Dame, a lot of people are Notre Dame fans. I remember the Bush Push game like it was yesterday. Uh, I mean, anytime USC and Notre Dame play, it's it's a big game, especially in these parts. Uh, I have this as the eighth best game of the, of this week, 78 overall rating on this game. Um, I've got Notre Dame as the number 12 team in my most deserving ranking. So 5-1 and one record, pretty good. Again, we talked about that Cincinnati loss. Um, Cincinnati's a really good team this year. To me... I, I like Notre Dame on both sides of the ball here. I think their offense is better than USC's defense. Now, the one area that they are not is rushing. I mean, Notre Dame this year is just, they've been abysmal at rushing. I've got them as number 118 in success rate out of 130. EPA-wise, I know Parker's the expert there, but I've got them at like 123. I mean, this is bottom 10, bottom 15 in rushing offense this year for Notre Dame, which is somewhat surprising given um, given the players that they brought back. Uh, but yeah, so Overall, though, I've got Notre Dame's offense top 50, USC's defense 91. So I do think Notre Dame's going to be able to move the ball and score. And then on the other side, I think it's a much higher quality matchup. Uh, USC's offense number 32 overall. Um, the success rate rushing their top five. Success rate passing their top 20. Um, so, so a really good offense there, or an above average offense there for, for USC. And then um, Notre Dame's defense, I do give them the edge. I got them as a top 15 unit. Um, they're, they're strong, both rushing and passing defense. So 
I've got Notre Dame as the 15th best team in the country. They're playing at home against number 43, USC. That's a 76% win probability. I'm going to take Notre Dame, and I'm going to take them for eight confidence points as well. I just don't trust Brian Kelly further than I can throw him. Um, and, and what really <laughs> makes this game interesting for me and why I'm taking it a very narrow margin for Notre Dame is USC's offense is not explosive at all. Um, they're 55th in EPA, they're 56th in EPA per pass, 64th in EPA per rush, but they're 6th overall in success rate, 33rd in passing, 1st in the rush. They have big playability, or excuse me, they don't have big playability, but they can move the ball, and football is a game of opportunity. The more opportunities you have to break a big play, the more likely it is you're going to break a big play, and I, I don't have a lot of faith in Notre Dame's offense at all. I think it's the worst unit on the field. Um... And yes, I know USC's defense is bad. Uh, and so if USC, who has probably a talent advantage on that side of the ball, can break off a couple big plays in addition to their consistent ability to be successful, uh, I think that's a losing recipe for Notre Dame. That being said, Notre Dame's defense is 17th in success rate, so they really deny opportunity. Um, I'm going to go with Notre Dame. I'm going to go... Uh, where did I write it? Two confidence points. Two confidence points for Notre Dame. So uh, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm not I'm not in love with it, but I'm like, yeah, I, I think they'll probably win. But if USC can break open a couple plays, man, Notre Dame's just been able to say we're going to play even ball until you crack. If USC doesn't crack, I think they could they could do something crazy here. All right, so Parker's on Notre Dame for two. King and I like them a lot more. We've got them both for eight. Um, keeping it in the Pac-12, we're going to move over to uh, crosstown rivals of U USC. We've got Oregon going down to the Rose Bowl to play UCLA. Parker, you want to lead us off? Yes, this one is really interesting to me because I think that Oregon started off, uh, Oregon and UCLA both started off hot and they've kind of had bounces. And so we're on the other side of the bounce. You know, UCLA last week um, beat, beat Washington or Oregon's been kind of up and down. Um, I I think that UCLA should be able to win this game. And, and the key for me here is that their passing offense is so much better than Wisconsin or uh, Oregon's. Neither Washington nor Wisconsin. Oregon's passing defense here. Uh, UCLA, 22nd in EPA per pass, 22nd in EPA per rush. That puts them at the 13th best offense overall. Oregon's defense is 42nd. Their offense is 30th in EPA per play. They're generally good. One thing to watch Oregon's been really good at rushing, right? 11th in EPA per play, but UCLA is 38th. Um, and so it really, for me, is going to come down to, can Oregon find this passing game with Anthony Brown? They're 65th in EPA per pass. UCLA's defense, 101st there. So I think that the way this matchup works and the complementarity, I actually like UCLA to sneak out a win, but I am not confident in this at all. So I'm going to go UCLA, one point. I'm going to agree with Parker. I got UCLA at four. Uh, he already mentioned both these teams are very run-oriented. UCLA is 17th in the country with 219 yards per game. Oregon 23rd with 210. Uh, you know, obviously, Oregon is dealing with some injuries. Verdell goes down for the year. Travis Dye steps in as a backup. Uh, he's been very efficient, though. Dye's averaging almost seven yards per carry currently. Um, 
the Oregon offense, like he mentioned, Anthony Brown's been very efficient this year. He's got seven touchdowns, one pick, but they really don't have any flash in that passing game. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, UCLA, again, doesn't really do it for me. They don't really have um, any real elite statistics uh, one way or another in the pass or run game. Um, I'm just a big Charbonnet guy. I like Noah Sewell and what he does uh, for that Oregon defense. Verone McKinley's tied for the FBS lead with four interceptions. But UCLA at home, I like Dorian Thompson-Robinson's, his weapons, and Greg Dolchich and Kyle Phillips. uh, Dolchich's tight end. Phillips, both these guys averaging over 15 yards per carry. I believe it's 10 combined touchdowns between those two this year. Uh, I like UCLA's offense more than Oregon's and the ability to score. I like the home, and I have UCLA at four. So this is a really interesting game for me, too. I've got it as the seventh best game of the slate, 78 game score. Uh, Oregon has the best win of the college football season. At Ohio State, 21% chance that the average top 25 team would go into Columbus and beat Ohio State. Now, it's important to note that 21%, that's looking at Ohio State's current team rating, um, which Ohio State, I think everyone would agree, is a better team right now than they were when they played in week two. But the way that my most deserving rankings work, it's who, what are the win-losses on your resume um, at the end of the season? What are, what do those teams look like? You don't get credit for what they look like when you played them. So for better or worse, that's how it works. Um, so I've got Oregon as the number 18 team in my most deserving rankings with a 5-1 and one record. Uh, not, not a good loss at Stanford um, in overtime there. But in terms of looking forward, I think this game is all about offense. I've got Oregon's offense number 30 going against UCLA's defense number 79. And across the board, success rate, EPA, rushing, passing, I give the edge to the Ducks. And then on the other side, same thing. UCLA's offense number 10 in the country, so a really good good offense there for the Bruins. Oregon's defense number 46, so a little bit closer of a, of a, of a discrepancy there. But again, UCLA's offense, I give them the edge. Rushing, passing, success rate, EPA, just across the board. The fact that it's at UCLA um, gives them that 2.5 home field advantage, which I think if I was uh, doing it better, I wouldn't give 2.5 across the board because I'm not sure the home field advantage at the Rose Bowl is the same as, say, Tiger Stadium or the Horseshoe or you name um, any other venue that fills it up a little bit more. But I'm going to be a contrarian. I've got Oregon as the number 21 team in the country. I've got UCLA number 35. I like Oregon by half a point, 51% win expectancy. So I will take Oregon and two confidence points. So my turn to pick against the group. Recap that game. Kings on UCLA for four. Parker's on UCLA for one. I'm on Oregon for two. And that brings us to our final game, which is in the Big Ten. And I'm going to go first because it's Ohio State at IU. And as folks know, because King outed me last week, I am an Ohio State fan. I think this is the sixth best game on the slate this weekend. It will absolutely be on the main TV for me when they play. I think it's the ABC primetime game, if I'm not mistaken. So Saturday night, ABC, game score 79. I've got Ohio State as the number 19 team in my most deserving rankings. They are AP number five, I think. So I want to talk about them here before the show ends. I think they are the most overranked team in the AP poll if we're ranking based on accomplishments this season. However, um, I do think that they are the number three best team in the country, which probably plays into the the pollsters' voting habits. Um, In terms of margin in their games that they play, so their resume ranks 22nd, but their margin is fifth best. They've been, in games that they played this year, they have been performing almost nine points better and scoring margin than can be expected of the average top 25 team against that schedule. So I think, again, predictively speaking, that bodes well for Ohio State. 
I've got Ohio State across the board here. I've got them as the best offense in the country. I, I use defense is decent. I've got a number 18. So, I mean, that's a good defense. But when you're going up against the best offense, I think Ohio State is going to be able to score points. And then on the other side of the ball, the defense is much improved for Ohio State. I've got them number 36 unit in the country versus I use offense, which I don't know what happened in the offseason or what happened this year. I've got them number 91. They can't run the ball. They can't pass the ball. I mean, they're sub 100 almost in success rate and EPA for rushing and passing. That, that offense does next to nothing at IU. So I've got Ohio State as the number three team in the country, predictively speaking. I've got IU number 57. Yes, the game's in Bloomington. No, I'm not going to it. But 91% win probability for Ohio State, nine confidence points. King, who you got? I'm going to join you with nine confidence points, Ohio State. Uh, Indiana has just been really underwhelming this year. I think, you know, rightfully so. I think there was some hype at the beginning of the season in regards to kind of the returning talent that Indiana had based on the success last year. You know, Parker mentioned previously COVID year. It's tough to kind of judge and gauge teams how they're going to respond after, you know, not a normal year last year. Indiana is dealing with injury issues. Uh, Penix is down. It's the Jack Tuttle show now. Um, I, like you already mentioned, they don't really have anything going on the offensive side of the ball. And you turn over at Ohio State, I was tough on C.J. Stroud early this year, but he's riddle, really settled down. He's got no picks the last three uh, no, last three games. Ohio State leads the Big Ten with over 560 yards a game. They're eighth in the country with over 350 yard pass yards per game. Everybody knows how good Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are. Uh, although in Ohio State is 2-8 and eight in their last 10 against the spread versus Indiana, I think they've found their momentum. They've found a rhythm that that they have to be successful. And I just don't think Indiana has what it takes at home this week. Uh, Ohio State at nine, and I'm going to take them. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I'm going to take them to cover this week as well. The the big issue for me is just one. Ohio State's been really really good lately, and and, and Indiana cannot move the ball under pressure. We saw it against Cincinnati. We've seen that Michael Penix took the biggest drop in the playoff era from, from accuracy from 2019 to 2020. And it was entirely because the offensive line is decimated. Um, there's not very inspiring on offense. I think that Ohio state wins this, uh, very, very comfortably, uh, 10 points, Ohio state. All right. So that wraps up our picks portion there. Parker's on Ohio State for 10. King and I both on Ohio State for 9. Before we move into the final segment of the show where we look forward to other national storylines and potentially other things we want to talk about as we move into Week 8, King, you want to provide the listeners with some of your best bets for this week? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to say just, you know, off Week 1, I bet 7 of the 10 games that we picked and chatted about last week on the podcast. Off to a good start. 5-2 and two last weekend. Uh, only games I lost were Kansas State and Boston College. So, uh, you know, very happy with the performance last weekend. Had about a couple other side games as well. Ended up positive last weekend. So very happy and, and a good start on the show. This week, again, I've got another seven bets that I'm going to roll with. I will post these to the Twitter account. Uh, I'm going to take Ohio State minus 20 and a half at Indiana. I'm going to take Pitt minus three and a half at home versus Clemson. I'm on Fresno minus three. I'm on Air Force minus three. I like Oklahoma State to cover that seven points at Iowa State. I've been looking at it further. We talked about it a little, and it wasn't quite sure which route I was going to go at the beginning. Uh, I like Iowa State to win, but I do think Oklahoma State keeps it close, specifically because of that defense. Um, I'm going to take Army plus three. I have to. I'm the only one picking them to win this week. I'm going to sprinkle a little bit on the money line. And then I'm also going to ride the horse that's Cincinnati. I'm going to keep going with that. I don't think Navy has the ability to move the ball, really score any points. 
Cincinnati's probably going to go out and put up at least 40, and I, and I like them to, to cover that 27 and a half. So uh, those are the seven games. I'm also just side, I'm going to ride my boilers again. I got on them last week. You know, it's a little bit scary, you know, just historically how Brahm has done in some games. But Purdue is a three-point underdog at home versus Wisconsin offense that has been absolutely terrible this year. Uh, I got to take it in the momentum. So those are my eight I'm going this week. Uh, And in case anybody's wondering, you can follow me on the Sports Action app. I'm going to give them a little bit of a shout-out, but that's where I place my bets every week. Uh, I'll post my username as well because I can't think of it off the top of my head. But I'm rolling with those eight. Um, but again, anybody want to follow me, I'll shoot you a follow back as well. I love to see what people out there are doing. So uh, that's what we're rolling with the best bets. I am interested in the um, Iowa State game there because I, I so I, I'm going to pick again, I'm contractually obligated to say go to the Bet US YouTube TV show and I'll talk about this in depth. I think that Iowa State, uh, we talked about this a little bit. I, I think that o- Oklahoma State's ability to muck things up is kind of overstated. And I think that Iowa State is kind of on a heater lately. And so that's one of the ones I'm actually going to go. I'm going to go Iowa State and the money line there. That one's really mm-hmm. interesting to me. I also do love the Air Force. I, I feel like if Air Force wins, it's going to be my, more than a field goal. That's one of those games where, you know, with Air Force, with the service academies, if you get that hook, right, if it's like three and a half, oh, mm-hmm. I get really nervous about that. But with the, with the three there, I'm like, okay, yeah, I feel, I feel like they're going to pull that off. So I, I like some of those. Five and two is not shabby, man. Not too bad for week one. You know, that's, you know, everybody obviously, you know, you're just looking for positive results out here. And so very pleased with that. You know, I'm, I'm talking about it now. I'll probably win one bet this week. You know, just that's just how it typically goes. But no, I'm just, uh, but, you know, we got some good momentum. I like some of these matchups this week. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I, Iowa State could very well win big at home. I, like I said, I, I'm pretty confident they're going to win the football game. Well, I love it. And I appreciate you guys talking about the uh, the betting piece because um, I, I don't necessarily love that part anymore. So um, appreciate that insight and perspective. Make sure you check out Parker's show, the BetUS show, and make sure you follow Kinger on the Action app uh, to get all of his most recent picks. And I forgot to mention, make sure you're following us on Twitter at WeHateYourTeam underscore and join our official Pick'em contest on ESPN. The group is called We Hate Your Team Podcast. Again, we'll post all of these picks on Friday after we posted the episode, but put your picks in there too. And if you beat us, you'll get a shout out on the show. Um, and if you beat us consistently enough, we might have to have you on the show. So um, with all of that being said, we move into our final uh, portion of the show. I know we're about a, we're an hour and 20 in. Uh, it's our podcast. We can go as long as we want. Pro tip, I listen to all podcasts, including our own, on more than one speed, usually one and a half, sometimes 1.75. So that's a way to get you through podcasts a little quicker if you're looking for it. But guys, what are the things that you're looking forward to or what are the things that um, have happened in the college football landscape that you want to talk about here going into week eight? I'm going to start us off because it's something that we have to talk about, and I'm not going to give my insight first, but I want to pose the topic LSU. So Coach O is out at the end of the season. He's going to remain being the head coach through 2021. But come 2022, LSU will have a new head coach. What are we thinking about the LSU situation? Let's 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 a Parker go ahead. Let's let's hear his thoughts first. Um, the lack of subtlety with some of these college football coaches just astounds me. Um. It's it's like they're not acting knowing that they are a prominent figure in their community and everywhere they go, they're going to be recognized as said prominent figure. I'm going to be intentionally vague there. Um, I think it is very easy to be pretty dang good at LSU, and there's a couple interesting options. Obviously, Billy Napier turned down Auburn last year. That makes me really intrigued as to what he wants to do there. 
Um, I think that he's benefited a lot from, I don't know if you guys remember a couple of years ago, Ed O kind of had a camp and he had, you know, Louisiana, ULM, Tulane all together. And, and they said, we're going to keep Louisiana talent in state. And Billy Napier really benefited from that. So if you're forecasting into, you know, SEC recruiting, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's a question mark. Uh, other names that I've, that I've heard that are really interesting, like Mel Tucker probably wants to be in the South rather than in Michigan. Um, and that kind of creates some ripple effects. So I think the writing on the wall for Ed O was certainly there when we realized that Joe Brady and Dave Aranda largely engineered his um, national championship. And that's not that there's nothing to be said for CEO coaches who can do the culture and the recruiting, um, maybe not the X's and O's. But as soon as you lose those guys, things get bad very quick. And so um, I think this is probably the best case scenario I certainly don't want to malign anyone, so don't hear what I'm not saying here. But the the Bobby Petrino, Hugh Freeze, um, it, that's a bad situation for teams, and that requires you to take you know a couple of years of three and nine to kind of build back up from that. And um, you know, Neil Young says it's better to burn out than it is to rust. But I, I think I think Ed O rusted really really quickly. And um, I think it's better that they didn't have, although there certainly were some incidents, they didn't have anything that kind of said, oh, we're going to be caught by this and have to do PR scrambling. They're saying, no, no, this was good. It's run its course. We're, we're leaving. Um, even if maybe they did have, you know, stuff that they should have fired him for. Yeah, I, I, I just want to start by saying is, is I, you mentioned it previously. Nobody has done a better job just in general, from a university perspective in the SEC, of keeping talent in state than LSU has. And I want to give credit where it's due to Coach Oak, Ed Orgeron. He was very relatable in regards to him being upbringing in Louisiana, the state of Louisiana, his ability to connect with these young kids, um, really show them the benefits and what can happen in regards to development in LSU, just the overall success and culture that they had there. He did a great job developing that and keeping those talented kids in state. Um, you mentioned already when his coordinators left after the national championship, you knew it was going to be an uphill battle for him to rebuild that to that level that they had when he had such good offensive and defensive minds um, on his staff. That being said, you know, we won't dive into it too much and, and we're not going to go too negative. But some of those things that, that you read in the, in the athletic article and some of these other things that came out about him um, really shown that he really did have a little bit of a lack of judgment and wasn't really fully situationally aware of what happened. Um, so I like that LSU didn't really go out and fire him immediately. They're allowing him to kind of ride this out as a season. I'm sure there's still a handful of players down there that really do still respect him and, and you know appreciate kind of what he's done for the program, bringing a national championship um, and just kind of the culture again that he built down there. But that being said, I do think it's time to move on. Uh, those names that you mentioned, I, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of. I, I think the Napier one is, is obviously one that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, Mel Tuck, Tucker as well, though I'm not sure, quite so sure if he'll be ready to jump ship from Michigan State quite yet. Um, I still think that they're a little bit under-respected program, especially the last 10 years or so with what's happened. But uh, it, it was time, and uh, you know, ultimately I do think LSU probably is making the right decision for their program going forward. Did you guys steal my notes before this segment? I mean, my goodness, you've, you've hit on all the things I really wanted to. And Mel Tucker's interesting, right? If if he goes to LSU, I think Michigan State fans are going to start a riot or something about losing another coach that's had a lot of success for them and is on a good trajectory to LSU, right? Saban did it, what, 20 years ago now. But that would be uh, just an interesting parallel 20 years down the road. But, okay, according to my numbers, 
LSU has been, on average, the ninth best team in college football in the college football playoff era. So since 2014, they're only trailing Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, Auburn, interestingly, Notre Dame, and Wisconsin. Uh, for the record, Parker, uh, TCU's been the 18th best in that span, and Purdue has been 68th best, King, so about, about average. I, I, that's better than I so, thought you were going to say. So yeah. that's, that's the college football playoff era average K-Ford ratings. So LSU is a top 10 job in college football, as you guys have said. National championships in 03, 07, 19, all under different head coaches, not to mention they played for another one uh, in 2011 in that, in that great rematch. Um, or sorry, didn't end up being a great game, but in that rematch of two great teams, uh, LSU and Alabama that year. It's the only major program in one of the country's richest recruiting states, as you guys talked about. From everything that I've read and can understand, they don't lack for resources down there in Baton Rouge, and they have a really solid administration as well. So I don't think this program is rebuilding. They almost appear ready-made, as it is, uh, to be successful. They just need to find the right head coach to lead the program. And now who that is, I don't know. Uh, we mentioned some good names, and I'm not the AD at LSU. Uh, I don't need to have that answer. But the only thing that I, I think that I do know is that they need to make sure that it's the right culture fit. Parker, you mentioned on culture. What works at LSU doesn't necessarily work at Alabama or at Ohio State or at Clemson or at Oklahoma. I mean, you name the blue blood. It doesn't always just copy and paste to the new place. LSU is a specific place. The administration needs to identify that right choice for them, and that means finding someone who fits their culture. I would argue that Coach O did fit that culture. King, you gave him some credit where it was due, at least on the surface, at least. Um, I think it, he did fit that culture. Something I, he got away from himself or something happened because obviously we got sideways and that's where we are. But I mean, minus a very select few coaches, the Tigers should really have their pick of the litter for the next coach. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. I know our viewers though, wanted to hear our thoughts on that. A couple reached out. So wanted to make sure we hit on that. Um, again, I know we're pushing time here. I just have a couple more things I want to talk about and then I'll turn it to you guys as well for closing remarks. Uh, in terms of the AP poll, I, I hit on it last week. I'm going to hit on again until we get the cost football ranking um, or college football playoff committee rankings. It doesn't really matter, and I know that, but just so people know, I'm not out here just being an Ohio State homer. The team that is most overranked in the AP poll this week is Ohio State. I mentioned it earlier. The AP has them five. I would have them number 19 in a merit-based poll. That's a 14-spot difference. That's massive. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule, and their best opportunity to get a win was that home game against Oregon. They lost. So currently, the best win on the schedule is at Minnesota, which 74% chance the average top 25 team would win that game. All other games on their schedule, more than an 80% chance that the average top 25 team would win that game. So, um, again, they're a top 25 team. I have them as the number three best team in the country, but in terms of deserving to be ranked, I think they're grossly overrated. Um, and then two more that I want to hit on, too. Both 12 spots over overranked, uh, according to my most deserving rankings versus the AP poll. Uh, one of them, I'll, I'll start with the one that, people probably won't get upset about Texas A&M. I've got them at number 29. The AP's got them at 17. They own the second best win in college football this year, winning at home against Alabama 41-38. Only a 22% chance the average top 25 team would beat the Crimson Tide at home. Texas A&M did it. They deserve credit for that, and they are getting credit for that. The problem is they lost neutral site to Arkansas, and they lost at home to Mississippi State. Those are games that the average top 25 team, according to my numbers, would have a 69 and 83% chance, respectively, to win. So, yes, they have a great win. They also have two losses that they should, if they're an average top 25 team, have been expected to win. So, I have them as the number 17 best team in the country. That's where the AP poll has them ranked. I'd have them at number 29. And then the final team, also overrated by 12, 
Um, and people probably say, Kelly, you're a G. Feisman voter, which I don't know how we didn't get into that, Parker, today. Um, how can you say this about one of the best G5 teams? It's Coastal Carolina. I have this as the best team in Coastal Carolina history, which goes back to 2017. So again, not, not, not very far back, but better than last year's team that generated all that buzz. I've got them number 22 in my power ratings. The AP poll has them at number 14. I have them at number 26 in a merit-based poll. They have on their schedule win expectancies against the Citadel for the perspective of an average top 25 team. The Citadel, FCS, so it's 100%. Home to Kansas, 99%. At Buffalo, 90%. Home to UMass, 100%, sorry, 99.9%, I should say. Uh, UL Monroe, 99%. At Arkansas State, 98%. This is the easiest schedule in college football this year. And yes, they are 6-0, but there's an 87% chance that the average top 25 team would be 6-0 against that schedule. Now, their margin is uh, 17th, so that's a little bit better. So they are performing well against the schedule, so that's good. They should get credit for that, and they are getting credit for that. But I have them at number 26. The AP has them at number 14. Really briefly, I'm not going to go into to full recaps of them, but teams that I have under-ranked in the AP poll, Wake Forest, I've got them eight spots better than the AP, and then uh, Louisiana, UTSA, SMU, I have them seven spots better than the AP. So that's what I wanted to spend my last couple minutes on. Overranked, underranked in the AP poll. What do you guys have? I, I can tell you that confidently. I, I I don't know. I don't know who's ranked. Way I assume Georgia is number one. Otherwise, I couldn't actually tell you who's ranked in the AP poll. Because it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. It, yeah. The AP poll literally means nothing. And this is a side comment, side story. That is actually. The reason I started doing my predictive ratings, one, I was interested in and I talked more about it in, in the pilot episode, but I wanted to know what games should I be watching on Saturday on this five TV setup that I have? What games should I pay attention to? Which teams do I think are good? Because the AP poll, they, I mean, if the AP came to me today and said, Kelly, we want you to be a voter. Absolutely, I'd say yes. Are you kidding me? So yeah, I, I'm not saying that I wouldn't be a voter, but the AP poll has no consequence. Um, there, there's there's no meat, there's no teeth to it. Uh, wherever you're ranked in the AP, it doesn't matter. It's something for us to talk about until we get to November 2nd. We have the first CFP um, committee ranking. So um, yeah, Parker, Georgia is number one in the AP, but uh, like you said, it doesn't really matter. Which, for the record, I have the number one in both my predictive metric and my most deserving two. That team, oh, yeah. and more specifically, that defense is unreal. The Big Ten West is now just absolutely wide open with Purdue beating Iowa last week. You have Iowa currently at the top, still at 3-1. and one. They're going on a bye this week. Minnesota and Purdue at 2-1. and one. Wisconsin 1-2. One and two. They somehow, they come into West Lafayette this week and beat Purdue. I think that really does really, again, put Wisconsin right back into the conversation, although they haven't been impressive. Um, really interested to see what happens in the Big Ten West. Uh, Purdue is, is dogs at home. I said I already liked, um, but that's a race that I'm going to be watching closely. Obviously, Big Ten guy, but uh, there's a lot of different variables and, and outcomes that can come from that, and, and uh, I'm just looking to see who's going to continue to beat each other up. I think Minnesota's got Maryland this week. Uh, that should be a pretty tough matchup for them, or a respectable matchup, so uh, we know we'll wait and see what happens, but I'm very excited to see what happens in, in that race. Parker, what are you looking forward to? Well, I mean, one, I'm just looking forward to a season of football. Um, this, this weekend I'm looking forward. I'm interested to see kind of the, the, the storyline that's so interesting to me as like a TCU fan is, you know, Cincinnati. Can, can we break the system again? And what I'm worried about is that Cincinnati was, you know, front loaded with some, some power five wins and, and beat a lot of people and they're going to lose steam. And so like, if Cincinnati's going to make the playoff, they're going to have to beat a team like Navy kind of 
substantially. So that game is not going to be uh, super fun, but it is going to be um, informative as to the rest of the season. The other teams that I'm keeping my eye on, Ohio State and Penn State play next week. That is an elimination game for the Big Ten Championship and de facto for the playoff. They're both, uh, you know, Penn State was on a bye this week and they're playing Illinois and, and Ohio State is playing Indiana. So it's they, they both kind of have these tune-up games. What will both of them do? What will they show? What will they not show? Looking ahead to each other, because you know they're already talking, you know, talking about how are they going to beat the other. And so that game generally is one that um, I, I, I think is, is most interesting to me this season. And so watching both of them this weekend, I think I'm going to go out of my way to just see maybe just in the first half because they're both going to win by a million. But, you know, what, what do they do here? So um, the, the, that one and then, of course, you know, the Big 12 game, like Oklahoma State, Iowa State just determines – more than anything, it determines what Baylor is going to have to do to make the Big 12 championship game. So that, that one is really, really interesting to me um, because for all that Iowa State has done this season, they could still win five of their last six or seven games and and find themselves in Arlington again for a second straight year against Oklahoma. So um, that, that that's generally what I have my pulse on um, for this for this weekend. Sounds good. I think what your opening comments were were the best. Just looking forward to a weekend and a season of college football. Nothing better. So, Parker, we really appreciate you being the first ever guest on the We Hate Your Team podcast. We will absolutely have to have you back on in the future. If you want to plug anything here, I know we talked about some stuff, but go ahead, do that now. Tell our listeners, where can they find all your work? Yeah, just go to uh, Twitter at Stats of War. That's where you can find everything, links to the column and the, and the show and my uh, stats previews. And, and guys, this was fun. Glad to do it. Would do it any time. So um, love people who are smart and thoughtful about football, putting their stuff out there. So so really happy to see you guys starting up a podcast and, and making it happen. And uh, I love the logo. When you guys have T-shirts, let me know because I will absolutely buy one. So. So that's Parker. I know people have probably stopped listening at this point, except for, again, our friends and family, which is all good because I'm going to talk about my wife. She has a custom apparel business that she runs out of the house and she makes custom apparel. The logo um, was very specifically designed. Uh, we've got it's it's Ross Aid Stadium. So Purdue's home stadium is the outline there. We've got both our names in there, obviously, and then the name of the podcast. So, yes, my wife said, hey, Kelly, how about next time I can uh, I can clean up the edges of the logo, make it a little bit more crisp for you. So so she She'll help us with that. She'll put it on on some T-shirts. We'll we'll have to give those out. Maybe we give them to the the folks that win our weekly pick them in the ESPN contest. I saw and our guests, and we got to take care of it, our oh, guests. Oh, of course. As well. Oh, that that was a given. I saw the ten twelve network today um, podcast. Par, par, um, Philip put out. They have some koozies now that they're going to be giving away with their logo on it. So that was really cool and got me thinking. How can we how can we make sure we take care of those that come on and, and do well in our pick them game? So I, I um, missed that. But if there's not a koozie in my mailbox next week, I'm gonna have a word with Philip. So <laughs> so. It, and, and shout out to Philip. He uh, he let me on as a guest a couple weeks ago now and was one of the primary drivers of me getting my butt in gear and, and starting this one up with Kim. No, he so. didn't let you on. He asked you on because you're smart. Stop it. Well, <laughs> well, I appreciate it. But he uh, he allowed me to be on as a guest regardless. So I uh, really enjoyed that. And make sure you check out the 1012 Network podcast. They've got lots of Big 12 um, team coverage and different podcasts there. So, Parker, thank you again. This was fantastic. Kinger, we'll see you next week. We'll have another guest that we'll announce um, on social media later this week. So looking forward to it. Everyone enjoy week eight of college football. This has been the We Hate Your Team podcast with Kay Ford and Kinger.